I am Tova Cito. And I am Janice Scant. And we believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And that it is our job to get us there. Every week, we will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The The Remedy. Welcome, everyone, to the next episode of The Remedy. I am not Tova Cito. (laughs) I am Janice Gant. Tova is in a remote location, so I was assigned the duty of welcoming everyone. We are so happy to have everybody listen, and we want to thank the McGuire family, one of the most precious families I have ever had the privilege of knowing. They are our sponsors this week, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you, McGuire's. Hi, Toby. How are you? Thank you. Hi, Janice. (laughs) I wish I could see. I see you remotely, but not in face to face. Toba's not here. No, but I sure wish I was. I miss. I miss my weekly dose of Kevin and Janice. You You know, we always have like twenty minutes of like shooting the shit before we ever record. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) <laughs> and we solved all the problems in the world that week. And yeah. we didn't, I didn't get to solve problems with you today. I feel really left out. We just I, went right to business. I, know, I don't it's not like the it. Same. We've not solved a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I did hear a really good joke on my way in. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's go. Okay. It's, a, it's not R rated. It's PG 13. So this man I and woman. I think our show is PG-13, so yes. it's right in. Okay, good. Uh, so this man and woman uh, were dating, and they were getting ready to get very physical in their relationship. And so the man took off his shoes, and the woman looked at his toes, and they were horrible looking. They were real gnarly. They crossed over one another. The pinky toes had big bunions all over them. And she goes, oh, my gosh, what happened to your toes? And he said, well, when I was young, I had a really bad case of tolio. And then she goes, oh, okay. So next he takes his pants off and his knees looked terrible. One was big. The other one was real skinny. They had scars all over them. And she said, oh my gosh, what happened to your knees? And he said, well, when I was young, I had a really bad case of the measles. So she was like, oh (laughs) my goodness. Okay. So now they're ready for the big reveal. And he takes his underwear off and she goes, oh my now I see that when you were young, you had a very bad case of sm- of the smallpox. <laughs> oh my god! Were you listening to Howard Stern? <laughs> oh my god! Well, that is ridiculous. I am putting that in my phone. You know when you like go to these like meetings and they're like who has a great joke i'm never have a great joke now i'm gonna have the great joke (laughs) i have a huge repertoire but mm, (laughs) so that's how we're gonna start off (laughs) you have to be world's most like 
cool, relevant grandma. Like grandmas aren't telling those jokes. (laughs) (laughs) But Owen Owen is really proud that you are. He's going to be so proud of me, isn't he? (laughs) He just ran to his room and hid. That's what he did. He he just ran to his room and hid under all his blankets. (laughs) Denizel's and Tolio are pretty... uh, grandma sounding and then you get to once you throw Cox in there it's like, <laughs> he upped your game with that one yeah <laughs> yeah you should see my grandchildren when I do the floss I mean they all are like stop oh, stop I have stop. I've witnessed it live I can actually attest to that <laughs> no you didn't even get to do it you asked them in front of me if they wanted you to do it and they're like no <laughs> Not oh, well. oh, well, well, we have the most special guest today. We and did. We I did. am privileged and honored to introduce her. She is one of the coolest people I've ever known. Everybody really is. Uh, do what? I said she really is. Oh, like, she used the word cool. Yeah, it's such a good description. It's such a good description of hers. And she mm-hmm. really she she's a sort of person that every time I've ever been with her or somebody says something about her, I'm like, oh, my gosh, don't you love Melinda? And they say yes. And I've never, ever, ever heard anybody say anything but just the most positive things in the world. And so we are so, so privileged to have Melinda Russ here as our very, very, very special guest. Thank y'all. That's oh, Linda. We do. Well, we're Hello, so happy Toba. you're with us today. God, we love you. Thank you. So, I love you. And I love Kevin too. That was, I <laughs> Thank was you, like, when you said, would you come? I was like, yes. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, she was more excited about meeting you, Kevin, than being on the podcast. Uh, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. I hope I didn't disappoint I, you. <laughs> no, I was just about, I was just about to say, I hope you didn't disappoint her. <laughs> yeah, no. he, he has not done one thing disappointing whatsoever. I may have disappointed you <laughs> with my joke. <laughs> Oh, the joke was good. (laughs) The joke was amazing. Okay, so uh, my my one minute Melinda spiel. So I've known Melinda for what a little over ten years now. Mm -hmm. Um, I met Melinda at church, like a good old Southern girl (laughs) does. She meets her friends at church. Um, But I had the great privilege of not only uh, knowing her, but also knowing her husband and her children. Um, and, and Melinda has seven, well, she has five children and two stepchildren, but you have seven children and, um, and you have, I mean that we, that alone, we could talk about how the hell do you raise seven children (laughs) (laughs) without using drugs, alcohol, or medication (laughs) and still show up with your hair blow dry. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Well, not only has she parented seven children, but she's parented them so amazingly well. And she and Mike together, Mike is Melinda's husband. They, I mean, really those kids, I have the privilege of knowing them also. And they are amazing. Yeah, they are. They're really, really, really cool. So we invited 
Melinda um, to be our guest today um, because Melinda is just one of those people, like Janice said, that's just truly that there's not you say the name Melinda Russ and and everybody's goes, oh, I love Melinda Russ. And you she's just inspiring. She's hilarious. She's cool. Um, she's a phenomenal mom. She's a beautiful wife. Um, and you also inspire and help so many people by giving back and being a big part of the men of Nehemiah. And we've had the privilege of, of having a couple of guests. Um, in fact, if you are listening to the show and you have not had the chance to listen to the two episodes we did with uh, the men of Nehemiah, I hope you go back and listen to them because they were just phenomenal. So, I mean, Melinda, we could have you as a guest on our show for a thousand reasons. How do you raise seven children? How do you, how do you, how do you have the body that you have? How do you, how do you, um, how do you, how do you continue to love your husband that you've been married to for so many years? And how do you have a great marriage and how, but I, so we could talk and, and hopefully our conversation will tap into little bits and pieces of all of that. But the reason Janice and I wanted to talk to you today is because I think a lot of people, especially I thought about this as the new year turned. I think a lot of people have a great desire to give back, um, to find kind of their passion, their purpose, um, not necessarily their profession, but find that thing that ignites them, gives them great purpose, um, inspires them. And, and I have just watched you and admired you from afar um, and up close with the work uh, and the, just the love that you have and the time and the financial, I mean, all of the things that you have given to the men of Nehemiah. And I thought, you know, that I, I know a lot of people, I mean, Janice and I both have people sit on our couch all the time. Like how, I want to give back. I want to find my purpose. I want to find that thing. And it has just been amazing to watch you and Mike and your family find that thing. Um, and in finding that thing, be, I mean, you think you're going to be a blessing. And then what you figure out is that they're the blessing. Like they're. Absolutely. Yes. 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 So um, before we start, just to give a little people a little bit of insight into you, will you tell us, I mean, I really don't know anything about like growing up or tell us, tell us about you. Melinda was born. I was born in Odessa, Texas. West Texas. Mm -hmm. Glad to have one of those on here. I told Janice, I said, I think the real reason she invited me is because I'm a little more country sounding than she is. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Went to Permian High School, Friday Night Lights, and uh, left home uh, right after high school, moved out um, to my own apartment, went to work. Uh, Most of my friends were going off to college. I didn't have that option. So I went to work, uh, worked for uh, an attorney in town, and he encouraged me to go to work for an airline so I could basically get out and see the world. So I took his advice. um, Great advice. 
It was. And uh, he even promised me, he said, I didn't want to go because I loved him and felt safe. And (laughs) he said, six weeks, just try it. And I called him two or three weeks into it. And I said, I don't think I like this. And he said, no, you've got three more weeks. So he he made a (laughs) tremendous difference in my life. um, Didn't you didn't you apply for a flight attendant job? I did. I applied for flight attendant and didn't get the job. That one thing, another thing we have in common besides West Texas is I applied for a flight attendant job and was rejected also. Me too. (laughs) You You did. did. I love it. The rejection club. Southwest Airlines when I was 23. Oh, me too. That (laughs) is so crazy. I was 19, but you know what? Who were they hiring? Uh, Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, truth be known, though, now that I look back on that, I I don't necessarily love flying. I love to travel. I love to go places, love to get there. But sitting on an airplane for eight hours doing that actual job, to me, it, it wasn't for me. I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt the same thing. Mm-hmm. I thought, and and I don't really love, hand, you know, serving people peanuts? food and peanuts yeah. and Cokes. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, I think I just wanted the free travel. I did too. <laughs> I just was doing what I was told. Really. You just wanted that buddy pass, Janice. Yeah. <laughs> so looking back, I mean, that's just one of many examples in my life where I saw that, you know, God was in control and it's like, no, I'm going to shut that door uh-huh. and um, open up another one. So Anyway, so I did. I worked for uh, Southwest Airlines starting at the age of 19 in Midland on the ticket counter, tagging those bags to Lubbock and Uh San Antonio. And anyway, um, and then after about a year, really less than a year, I moved to Dallas. I applied uh, because I had had a little bit of experience working in the law office. I knew that I wanted to work in the headquarters in the office building. So I enjoyed being in the center of the business aspect of it. And so I moved to Dallas in 1983, probably 84. And was that at the beginning of when the airline really started mm -hmm. expanding and going to more and more places, even outside of Texas Texas. and the neighboring states? Mm -hmm. We had 3000 employees. At the time I started. How many employees do you think they have now? Oh, my goodness. Well, before the pandemic, you know, yeah. probably 50,000, yeah. I would guess. Now, maybe. that's crazy yeah. how quickly that yeah. airline took. And maybe more. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Wow. maybe more. But um, so anyway, and then I stayed at, at Southwest for until uh, I was in my 30s and ended up, I was in marketing and then I ended up in the executive office after about a year, worked uh, for Colleen Barrett and Herb Kelleher. And they made um, the most tremendous impact on my life. And then met Mike and had How did you and Mike meet? A blind date. And um, he knew- Somebody my, set you up? Uh-huh. My uncle- uh, happened to be his first client. Mike was with Goldman Sachs for many, many years and was out making calls in West Texas during one of the oil booms and met my uncle. And my uncle said, oh, my little niece has just moved to Dallas. Let me oh, give you her number. I haven't heard this and, story. This is great. Yeah. So he called me up and I was 
set that up for a Sunday night. I was like, not doing a blind date on a Friday or a Saturday, but you know, <laughs> just in case. But, yeah, no lame. We, can't waste, we can't waste that blind date on a Friday. On a Friday, <laughs> but that was always like, girls got to eat. So I'm going, <laughs> Let's go. how about Sunday? So we went out on Sunday night and dated for two and a half straight years before we married. And he had a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And I, at that time, said at the altar, I didn't, I was not having any children. I, you did? I did. Surprise. I, Are you I, serious? Serious. <laughs> I said, I love my job so much. I'm going to be a career woman, not leaving Southwest. And he was fine with that because he had two precious, precious children. And I was happy with that, too, at the time. Uh-huh. So that was about four or five years I stayed you know. So was his ex-wife around? She is. Yes, yeah, she is does she live here. Is she still around? She, yes, she lives uh-huh. in Dallas here. Yes, she does. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you had a boy and a girl, right? Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So boy, the oldest, yes. and then the daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then how long did that last? A little over four years we were married. And uh-huh. I thought, you know, maybe I'll just have one. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> I had one. And... Went back to work, uh-huh. missed my job, adored my, obviously, my precious trip, who Tova knows. And yeah. um, um, she taught him at youth group. Oh. Thank goodness she had an influence in his life for sure. <laughs> he is an amazing young man. And um, He's a cool kid. He is a cool guy. I did go back to work. And then eventually my job was so demanding because like you said, we were, we were expanding, opening up. I was used, they were used to having all of me uh-huh. uh, at work, you know, 12 hour days, whatever. We worked hard, played hard was Southwest Airlines, uh-huh. you know, environment. And um, it was a family and had an absolute blast. It was all I really knew as an adult. I mean, I was raised as an adult at Southwest Airlines. I didn't have that normal college experience. And so I came there as a really young girl. And well, and wasn't, it's my understanding that Herb was such a positive influence on you as far as your value system and your work ethic. And he was Mm -hmm. somewhat of a father. Absolutely. Figure for you. Yes. Um, you know, working for him at such an early age and for for Colleen as well, you know, both of their examples, you know, I could see pretty early I wanted to mimic what he did. And uh-huh. he was positive. He was upbeat. He loved others. It did not matter. There was no difference in your job title. I mean, he dealt with you know, senators, governors, you know, we opened new cities quite frequently. So he dealt with all the city heads um, during those times. And he treated everybody the same. Didn't matter if you were bringing the mail in or if you were the governor of, of another state. And that's what love this. So it was a blessing to have that model of joy, which uh-huh. I believe is a choice. Uh, you can choose every day, you know, do I want to be joyful today? Sometimes it's harder to choose that, but um, I try to. And um, I learned that from him for sure. And the way to love people unconditionally. And you know, what's really interesting about that and very cool is that because he was 
treating everybody the same, as you said, whether it was the, you know, the custodians in the Southwest Airlines offices or the governors or whatever, you also saw that modeled. And I think that kept your heart real open for like the men in EMI Mm -hmm. and men who have been, you know, addicted to drugs and have been imprisoned or whatever it is. And, and I think once you are able to wrap your arms around the differences of others, that doesn't leave you. Right. There was no hierarchy at Southwest Airlines. I mean, he basically flipped the pyramid uh-huh. and put others first. And I love that. I love hearing this. Too. That's yeah. So cool. That was our really company mod- model. And, you know, Colleen, she started, I was on the first, what we called the culture committee. And as we began to grow, you know, how do we teach this culture across the country? And so she and Herb and a group of us, you know, that were all there uh, from the start were figuring out, you know, how do we take this model and teach? And, and it really begins with the hiring process sure. and getting the right person in their resume doesn't matter as much as personality mm-hmm. and um, just teaching love. I mean, that's our was the symbol on the New York Stock yeah. Exchange is uh, the heart. And so um, Southwest was known as the love airline. So I did have such, I just call myself the luckiest girl ever to be able to ha- be involved in that at such a young age. That's really that's, awesome. It's really, really, really cool. So okay. You, and so you, what happens after you have trip? I had trip. <laughs> I came back to work. Um, couldn't you were done having children? Uh huh. <laughs> anyway, you know, I began to feel um, just the tug of of motherhood, mm-hmm. and I worked because I loved it, and not because I necessarily had to put bread on the table at that time. Um, and I, it just began to to tug at me that. I had this precious baby at home and I was here from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Sure. I tried working back then. It was not done like it is now. I tried job sharing. That didn't uh-huh. really work. Um, so anyway, I eventually um, gave my resignation and was so used to such a full schedule. I was like, let me just have a few more babies. So I had about four more. (laughs) Anyway, um, had Reed next two years later and then had a little gap there and had Barrett and then had twins. and um, Twin daughters. So I had five babies in nine years on top of Katie and Jordan. So we had a very full house. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even imagine what that no, was like. Me yes. neither. Yes. Well, I can. I when I have you know seven of my grandchildren all together, mm-hmm. it's just hilarious. Yeah. I mean, we would go to you know California Pizza Kitchen, and they'd think we were there for a birthday party, and I was like, <laughs> no, this is just our family. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so then how did you and Mike get, get associated with the men in Nehemiah? Um, I met the founder, um, you know, and again, another example of, of God just putting these divine appointments in my life, uh, people that have, have 
come stepped into my life and made such an impact. Um, I was involved on a committee. It was called 100 Shares. It was one of the very few things I did outside of my home for uh-huh. those few years. I was not a, you know, I just had too many kids. I had to job share cafeteria duty with uh-huh. a doctor. Like she had a real, she, she was like, <laughs> I can't be up here for three hours. I said, I can't either. I'm nursing twins. And so we would split <laughs> an hour and a half of cafeteria duty. But anyway, um, I eventually decided to do one organization. Um, Prior to that, I had volunteered at Child Protective Services in my Uh 20s when I was working at Southwest Airlines and always just had so much um, that brought me so much satisfaction. I really wanted to be a secret caseworker, but I didn't have a college degree. And that Uh always bothered me. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, if I had a degree, I'd go be a caseworker. I Uh just wanted to save these children, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In, in the County, Dallas County and um, foster kids. And anyway, um, I, what did you ask? How did you get associated with me? So I signed a, I was asked to be on a committee called 100 shares Uh and it's an organization in Dallas of 100 women. They all give a thousand dollars. So each year they look for a faith-based organization to make a a big impact. I mean, they'll split it. It'll either be 50,000 or a hundred thousand. So they can make a big impact. Oh my goodness. Yes. uh, Lewis Harrell, the founder of Nehemiah, uh, they had put in an application and my job was to be what was called a site coordinator. So I would go out and research Uh these various organizations that had submitted. So I met Lewis for four minutes And I walked out of there and I knew there was something in my heart that just, I just knew I needed to know more of him. I needed to learn more about the organization. Um, I went home that evening. I told my husband about it. I said, you got to meet this guy. You have to meet this man. And I was. What year was this? What year was this? This was uh, at least eight years ago, maybe nine years ago. And this is, you know, how how it works. You know, we call them coincidence or small world or whatever. But I start talking to my next door neighbor who was also on this committee, and I said, "Gosh, did you hear that Lewis Harrell speak today?" And she goes, "Oh yeah, I know him." She goes, "We go to church." In South Dallas, they have a Sunday morning worship. And I, of course, my eyes just got huge. I was like, I, I'm going. She goes, they also have a Tuesday night men's Bible study and said her husband went. And I said, okay, Michael be standing on the curb. <laughs> what time does he need to be ready? And he was always compliant to go and do whatever I suggested, <laughs> which is such a good husband. He can't listen to this. <laughs> he might get defiant. <laughs> He'll admit it. He will. Um, not dumb. If I was married to you, I'd do what you say too. <laughs> so he went and, uh, you know, that's a definitely another podcast, but um, it, it changed his life as well. And so there was no doubt that, that God put that um, in our lives for sure. And well, and your mom, your mom kind of set you up for a little bit of this 
didn't she? Mm-hmm. In that she was one of those women who were always taking casseroles to people in the church who were ill or who had had a baby, or she has kind of a server's heart yes. as well, don't you think? Yes. My mother just turned 80. She has served, she serves, she picks up medicine from the pharmacy for shut-ins. She drives meals on wheels. She served at the church. She just took a pot of soup this morning. I talked to her <laughs> over to someone who had had COVID to put on their front oh, porch. You know, so yes, yeah, she modeled so this. Sweet. Yeah, she's amazing. And um, so one of the things that you and I were talking about before this started was the the how do you think your childhood experiences were, were grooming you? Besides the influence of your mom, but were were where did some of that come from that, that kind of you, this serving and helping others help to fill a hole in your soul, so mm-hmm. to speak? Yes. I mean, this is, I have to be completely honest about, you know, my house that I grew up in, um, very dysfunctional. I grew up with an alcoholic father. He was very respected in town, district judge ran for office every four years. So like winning a popularity contest Uh every four years. But um, at home, he was not kind at all. And and really, for the most part, very absent Uh and um, had very little to do with me at all growing up. And so I had a huge... um, disconnect with an earthly father. Uh It pained me with God. I never didn't believe in God, but I had a hard time understanding that I could be lovable. Sure. And accepted. I always viewed God as like sitting up here and watching everything I was doing and making sure was that good or bad. And it wasn't really until I started working with Um, Janice, you know, not that long ago did I begin to understand the false self, uh, the the person that God created us to be. We all have it in us. Mm -hmm. Um, I, as a child, uh, trying to get attention from, you know, my father. And my mother is an incredibly wonderful person, but she was as hurt and, you know, traumatized by him as, as well. And so she was a lot of times I feel like sad and empty and emotionally probably shut off quite a bit. Um, But I began, you know, as a young girl, I think trying to get attention in that way, whatever way I could, I ended up, I was joking with Janice earlier, I said, I was Sally Wright. I, <laughs> I did not win any spelling bees. I, um, you know, starting from about 15 to 17, I was, you know, probably hell on wheels. I mean, I tried everything I could to get attention. You know, sure. if I wasn't getting it at home, I was going to get it somewhere. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so, I was always drawn, as I said a, a minute ago, about volunteering at, at Child Protective Services and 
places like that. I, in my early 20s, signed up. I had just moved to Dallas. I didn't know very many people. I had an opportunity to go. um, And and it was specific to Southwest Airlines was real involved in Ronald McDonald House, which there was something about I wasn't as drawn to that. I didn't feel that pull Uh like to go to that. But if you put CPS or abused women, shelters, children, I was, I had a huge draw to that. And so I started volunteering at Child Protective Services back in those days. They were happy to have anybody. And I would leave Southwest Airlines as soon as I could. I would call them and say, you know, do you have any P1s, which was uh-huh. a priority one. Yes. And you could go out on calls with the caseworkers back then. And so I would leave work, race over there, um, assist in any way that I could. Um, I, I just felt such, I guess, purpose and, and it it was healing to me. It does. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because when when kiddos are not parented, and nurtured adequately, there's a hole in their soul, so mm-hmm. to speak, because they're they are they're not ca- really capable of living fully from the inside out. So mm-hmm. they live more from the outside in, and I think it's really fantastic that there are divine draws that will draw people that have that sort of hole in their soul to a particular experience or, or other people that will help them heal that hole in their soul by, by reaching out and helping others. It gives us the illusion that we are lovable by loving Mm -hmm. others. It helps nurture that hole in the soul that may not have been adequately filled from Mm-hmm. from childhood. And so those that, that you going to Southwest airline and then being drawn to child protective services. And then the men in Nehemiah is, was just God working in your life and saying, okay, we'll come here, mm-hmm. you know, because this will help. This mm-hmm. is going to help you. This is going to help you realize how lovable you really, really are. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. It had, it really has been. And, and, you know, for many years, I, tried to just busy myself, numb myself. Um, and I was plenty busy. I have a lot of energy. <laughs> a lot <laughs> and, of kids. And, and you had a lot to, that could help you hide. Yes, you had I could kids mask. and family and, and your kids were busy and athletic. And so you could, you, you could easily hide behind all your things. I find it so interesting, Melinda, how, I mean, I, I, I was actually meeting with a girl this morning and we were talking, she, she felt like she was neglected as a child and she went to perfection. And it so often I see that like as a, when, when somebody's not paying attention to you, you will do anything to try to get the person that you are, you're desperate. Yes. Um, You know, and so whether it's acting out or becoming perfect, you know, you're, you're the same little girl jumping up and down saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And so it's, it's, it's like what I hear when you're saying this is it's beauty out of ashes because you were the little girl saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And, and so 
in that pain, it's so easy for you to see them. It's so easy for you to see that child, to see that person who's jumping up and down in the background saying, please love me. Please tell me I'm worthy, please. And, and so, I mean, what a, what a hard thing to have to go through, but the fact, it makes sense to me. Like when, you, you know, Ronald McDonald house, that really didn't, that, that didn't make your heart beat, but it makes so much sense. And I think that if people just heard that, you know, like understanding why certain things make, make your heart beat. Mm-hmm. And, and it redeems it, it, your pain. Yeah. Sure. You know, sure. It does redeem your pain. It does. And I, if I can help somebody else feel loved mm-hmm. and feel mm-hmm. valued. Seen. Seen. You know, that is my absolute mm-hmm. joy in life. And the guys at Nehemiah, many of them, let me say all of them come through those doors with so much pain and have had so little love in their lives that it is my privilege to love on them, just talk to them, say hello, hear their stories. Um, it, it's it's an honor. And, and it is, like we said a minute ago, it redeems, you know, any pain that I grew up with and and it makes me a better better person. So the so now you actually work there, yes. right? You yes. have a part-time job or is it pretty much full-time? It's, it's pretty much full-time. And what is your title? I am right now development. Okay. Uh, we are gonna hire me a boss. Um, uh-huh. like a vice president of development. I had never been in development. Here's yeah. another funny story. Does that mean fundraising? Basically, yes. Yeah. And Ooh, even, had you done that before? No. <laughs> and always said I never would. <laughs> um, that's what's so hilarious. Even when my kids were growing up, all the auctions, school uh-huh. auctions, you know, all that stuff we had to raise money for. I was like, you can give me sweeping duty. I'll clean the gymnasium. I'll get the, don't I will do anything for money. <laughs> I am not asking anyone for money. And for 30 years that I've raised children, I have never asked people for money for our schools <laughs> or anything like that. So when I went to, uh, they called, they had a couple of openings last year at Nehemiah and I had been around as a volunteer uh-huh. for all these years. And you know, serving really alongside Mike because it's a men's ministry and, right. and we would mentor guys. I helped with the annual fundraisers, which were concerts. Tova, you've been to a couple they are was the best. Yes. And concerts. So I helped oh. in that way, you know, organize those, set those up. I did a lot of that at Southwest Airlines event planning and uh-huh. um, just had a ball, but I wasn't into ticket sales or any of that, you know. So anyway, when I went in, they said they had a couple of openings and, and um, the gentleman at the time, uh, he's no longer there. He's moved back to Atlanta, but he was like, well, what, what job would you be interested in? And I was like, well, I'm not really, I'm not good at fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, God has a different idea about th- some things, I think, or oh, he certainly does. Um, but so that is what I'm doing. And um, I'm, I'm loving it. Any, really anything I can do there to, to help. You know what I think is really cool 
is, you know, they, there's so many, well, I've learned a lot about this because of having you as a friend and that whenever anybody donates money, they, uh, you, I guess you pass out the thank you notes and the men in Nehemiah actually write the thank you notes and they are, I received one and, and it was interesting because it was from a person that I saw in my office. I don't know how long ago was it? 10 years? I think he said 10 years, 10 ago. years ago. And he's the one that wrote me the thank you note. And it really, it kind of chokes me up now. It was really special. It, I mean, this is another one of those, I think, divine appointments. Yeah. I mean, as Janet said, I asked the guys to write notes, you know, personal notes and, I, of course, read them before I put them in the mail. And so I had no idea. And this gentleman, I'd just given him a list of names. And Janice was on the list and said, here's notes. Y'all divide it up however you want. I get these back in my office and I'm looking. And this man, this gentleman has poured his heart out. He said, I was an atheist when I knew you. I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in anything good. I met you 10 years ago. And I mean, just the chances of that <laughs> reconnection um, it is, it's remarkable. It I mean, really... I, I get to see, and that's what's so fantastic about my job there. I get to see that type of redemption and growth and these men who've come in feeling so unlovable, see that people in the city of Dallas, the community, the church um, as a whole, love on them. People, we had a fire last October and they lost all of their living quarters, everything they owned. I mean, beds, linens, everything, right? Pictures of their kids. They lost every, every one of their earthly possessions. And those men stood out and watched with tears. It's like some of them, one, one young man, he said, I've been in foster care my whole life, and I finally felt like I had a home. And they watched it go up in flames, and it was an arson. Killing me. I know. and um, But this is even more precious. So the gentleman that set the fire was clearly strung out on drugs and um, just in a really bad place. And at first, our guys were, you know, we're going to go get him out. You know, they were angry for a few minutes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they began to pray for him and they began to say, you know what, this could have been any one of us. We've been there and it's our hope to meet him and get him into the men in Nehemiah. He's in, in jail. And I think he'll be there for quite some time. And because of COVID, um, Lewis hopes to go visit him and see if we can get him into our program. But uh, which would be an amazing story. So when wow. they're there, how long is the treatment program? It's nine months. And so it, that during that nine months, do they, they don't leave, correct? No. And do they see their family at all? Yes. In a typical time, COVID is, has oh, changed I'm sure a lot of made things. It different. Typically, after, you know, the first three months is really just breaking down of the walls sure. of, of their pain, their trauma, their past, um, and, and being reintroduced to a loving God. Um, so many of them have such spiritual wounds 
Oh, yeah. And just think how in the world could there be a loving God up there, you know, without where I've been or how could he accept me or love me? Yeah. And even if there is, there's no way that I'm ever going to be forgiven or I'm worth another look. Yeah. Right. So the first three months are really loving on them. We have an amazing counseling staff, uh, five counselors on staff. They get 13 hours of clinical counseling a week. And they get uh, 12 hours. That's of, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. How much, you mean, Twelve. how many hours of individual counseling? There are 13 total, which includes group, group. Uh-huh. and individual. And I it's 12-step based, yes. right? Yes, it is. Which is really great. Yes. And um, then they get 12 hours of biblical teaching. And that is we bring, Lewis teaches quite a uh-huh. bit. We bring different people in from all across the city that teach different uh-huh. Bible studies. We, they teach faith and finance, awesome. um, you know, all types of just restorative the first three months. Uh, and then once they're into the next phase two, we call it, uh, which is three to six months, they begin to get a pass, you know, to uh-huh. go visit a family or have a family member come in um, they prepared to get a mentor. And that's where, you know, my husband has mentored. I mean, he mentors three or four at a time all the time. And that's been so healing for him um, in his life. And so that just really involves a relationship, you know. So do they, do y'all, do what do the families do? So do, the, do y'all have a family program for them to where they can come in and get some codependency education? And yes. They that yeah that's awesome yes and that is um, you know we're evolving and getting better all the time uh-huh. but yes we do Lynn Sheehan runs our family uh-huh. group counseling so she brings them in on for Saturday workshops good she brings the whole the siblings in she'll bring the parents in then she'll have a class for the uh, children so yes they get that as well wow. and then they begin to graduate uh, or move towards graduation, they get jobs. Uh-huh. And so they go out to work, they come back every day and they do that through nine months, you know, till they're nine so months. That's, is the, that's the third, that's the third, that's the six, six to nine months. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then after nine months they have a graduation and we have a sober living house, which is our transitional house, uh-huh. but it's small. Uh, we only have 10 beds in it. So we're trying to build something bigger because that's seems to be, you know, they're not ready. I mean, they've, they've no, been that's productive. a slippery slope. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if we can keep them connected and the ones that stay involved and then they begin to give back to the new guys coming in and um, that seems to be a more um, successful transition back into their homes and, their communities and their families. Yeah, that's just Melinda, amazing. How, I, w- I would love to know how, what kind of impact this involvement, like giving back, pouring, pouring your time and, and, and love and finding this like passion project for, I don't know what else to call it, but how has this impacted as much as you would like to share? How much has this impacted your family um, how much has this impacted your relationship with Mike? I mean, I, I think that I think that a lot of times that I saw this when I was working at the church, you know, he 
so many people, and you you know this well too. People would sign up at for a mission trip, and there would they would like kind of pat themselves on the back, and you know we're gonna go to Juarez, and we're gonna build a home, and we're gonna, and they were like you know like a little uh, filled up with themselves. And I mean, believe me, I have been there myself. And then mm-hmm. you go and, and you like pour yourself into this ministry or this thing or this calling, whatever you want to call it. And, and then you walk back in your house after the experience and you're like, that had nothing to do with me. And you're just truly humbled because you went out to change the world and the world changed you. Mm-hmm. And so how has this, how has this impacted? And I'm sure you, there's more blessings than we have time for, but I'd love to hear the impact this has had on your family and your marriage. It's had an enormous impact on, on my marriage and on Mike. Um, you know, Mike grew up, his dad was Catholic. His mom was Presbyterian, very divided household. And he really did not have a personal faith at all. And he struggled with that for many years of our marriage. And he, he loved going to church. I can remember him going, well, I love the music. It's great. You know, (laughs) really? And we got a lot of complaints about the music when I was there. (laughs) No, he always says love the music. And he said, um, People either love it or hate it. <laughs> he said, I just don't get it like you get it. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't know the relationship piece of it. And until he started going to down to Men and Nehemiah, mm-hmm. did he begin to build a relationship with God and do that through serving. And so it has had a tremendous impact. I mean, my kids see their dad serving two, three nights a week. I mean, we have guys into our house for dinner. You know, Mike's going to take one to lunch every Saturday. I mean, that's that's his life now. And so to have that model, I mean, my kids are, are normal. I wish I could tell you they were all like sitting in their rooms at night on their Applying to prayer the seminary. <laughs> They are not. Yes, Uh, they were too cool for that, Melinda. They were way too cool. I mean, they're working and they're out trying to make their own ways in life, and you know, doing the normal teenage thing. But we do uh, on birthdays at our house. We do gift of words, and so everybody writes everyone a letter for their birthday, and so. And same thing for Father's Day, Mother's Day. That's what we do for gifts. And every letter, I mean, my kids, when they talk about their dad, the way that he pours in and serves other people. I mean, he teaches math class down there on Wednesdays, Fridays. He coaches the basketball team. He mentors three or four guys. And so just them getting to witness that and see that that's a normal part of our life is, is trying to help and make a difference in someone else's life. Um, you know, we'll see they're young. Um, but I know it, it means an incredible amount to them. And 
that I'm sure that they look at that and, and they look at you and the way that you and Mike have done this together. And they have so I'm sure they, they may think, oh, I'm glad I'm not doing that right now. And they may not be lining up to volunteer, but I'm sure they look at y'all and have the utmost admiration for what you're Absolutely. They do. And that's what they write about in their gift of words. And that's where that would, that's what, that's the best that you mm -hmm. could ever want for them to feel about that right now. Yeah. You know, instead of, you know, saying dad, you know, drives a cool sports car or, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. They always focus in on, you know, his service. And well, so what, if, if someone is interested in getting involved or wants to give money or tell, they go to the website or what? Yes. And, and will you also tell them about the worship services? Yeah. Um, what time churches on Sunday morning and all, all that stuff. Yeah, and and the concerts that. and mm-hmm. yes. yeah. anything, anything about the ministry you'd like okay. to share. With Thank it. you for that. I know people, I know what people uh, and you need to raise some money. So this, and, you better, you better prove that you're worth your paycheck right here, that's sister. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, typically, COVID has changed a lot. We have to operate, you know, like a living center, like a nursing home sure. almost. I mean, we are closed in. And right now it's been difficult to have volunteers in the building. So it's been a challenge for sure. Have um, y'all had any COVID at the? No, not one case. That now our awesome. guys that are unbelievable. Living, yeah, some of that. The yeah. sober living house, um, eight out of ten had it. Uh-huh. Um, at one point, they all, you know, came out of it just fine, Good. thankfully. But no, uh, our COO has done an incredible job of keeping everybody safe. I mean, he is, you don't cross the front door without a mask and good for him. No, that's, that is amazing. He has kept everybody safe as his number one priority. So, um, so right now, as far as coming down and if anybody wanted to teach, it's over zoom right Mm now. Um, the Sunday morning worships, we were having those outside in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. So it's 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We did shut down November, December. Uh-huh. We're starting getting ready to open those back up, and uh, they're not open yet. I'm guessing probably, I think March 7th is the first Sunday in March. So we're hoping if the weather cooperates, uh-huh. we'll be back outside. So 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And then Tuesday nights are a Bible study that's open. Um, We always have an amazing speaker. People from North Dallas come to South Dallas. You can hang out with your mentor, mentee. um, And And are all those speakers men? Is that a... They have been. Um, We're getting a little little better. but no, it was a men's Bible study. Now, on Sunday mornings, it's everybody. But I, I sit in on Tuesday nights, depending on who the speaker is. And mm-hmm. we have had some really amazing uh, people come down. And so women are always welcome. But it just is set up typically more. Yeah. Well, it's a men's treatment center. It is a men's treatment center. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But as we begin to open back up, um, 
definitely will be having another concert. We had a dinner in October at Bonton Farms. Uh-huh. And it was amazing dinner, uh, very small, COVID friendly. So we're trying to get real creative with our fundraising and figure out COVID safe ways to um, raise some money for yeah. sure. Uh, but people can just make a donation. Yes. Also. And that's just the menonehemiah.org is our website. Uh-huh. And there's ways to donate there. Uh, also, we're going to start a capital campaign because we're going to rebuild from the fire. Uh-huh. And so we're in a dreaming stage right now. Like if we could do anything with a clean slate, what do we want to build? You know, a, a yeah. new chapel, an exercise room, you know, things like that. So we're, yeah. we're in the dream stage right now. But, Fun. Uh-huh. So please go on the website. I would- I would also say to anyone who has resources, like if you like not only for speakers, but like, I mean, like you said, Mike helps with the, or you, somebody comes and talks about finances. So like any resources that any of our listeners that you're listening to this and think, Oh, my organization could help with fill on the blank. I mean, these, these men, when they come in, they're pretty desperate. And they are starting over. And so like, and we have a lot of listeners all over, like what, if, if you're listening to this and, and you have a resource um, that could be a blessing to these, yes. men, I would say it's not just, a, and of course, you know, this better than anyone, but it's, you know, it's, there's all different kinds of ways. And even if like you add, Men of Nehemiah to your prayer, to your prayer list. I mean, these, these men, um, when they come in, they're, they're not in a good spot and they're fighting against all odds and they have a long road ahead of them. And they, I mean, their needs are great. And I, I, so I, there's just, there's always ways to help. There's always ways to give back. Definitely. Our men, um, just one second about our population. So many of them are ex-incarcerated. Many of them are homeless. We have some that have graduated from Highland Park High School. I mean, we have a broad, um, very diverse client base, young. uh, Probably our youngest has been 18 uh, to 70. And, you know, so we have all, and, and don't be afraid, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'd like to be a mentor, but I don't know the Bible. It's not about that. It's about having a relationship, taking a guy for a hamburger, um, you know, once, twice a month, I think is our requirement. And, you know, just building that relationship. Um, but yes, going forward, we are going to be rebuilding and starting in on yeah, that big process. That's awesome. Yes. Well, I'm so proud of you, Melinda. Like I, I have to say, it's just such an inspiration to watch you not only inspire, but be inspired. I've witnessed the difference this has made in your life, in your marriage, in your family. And it's really why I wanted to have you on. We wanted to have you on because I believe this potential exists for all of us. And maybe it's not men of Nehemiah, mm-hmm. um, but there, your men of Nehemiah listener 
exist. And, and we all have great purpose. We all have a great mission. We all have work to do. Mm-hmm. And, and we all have the, the ability to not only be blessed, but to be a blessing. And it would be a shame, you know, it would be a shame to live your whole life and, and not know what, what that was. Andy Stanley, and I'm, I know I've said this before on this podcast, but he's one of my favorite pastors and favorite preachers. And he, he gave this sermon one time. And, and the question that he left everybody with was at the end of your life, what do you want people to stand in line and thank you for? Yes. And just one little plug to Janice and Tova. Last <laughs> week, I said I was the poster child for that. Does everyone need therapy? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, doing that work and when you, when you, come out with your pain that to me you begin the healing I mean as long as as you keep it buried you become numb and you're not able to feel what God is is calling you to do I mean if you're numb if you're busy if you're overscheduled if you don't have that time of reflection Mm -hmm. um and, and that for me began Definitely in therapy. So I'm just putting it out there. Um, Thanks for the plug. Absolutely. But, but, you know, that's just like you'd go to any other doctor. I mean, you two are skilled in that. And it is such a benefit to a full, joyful, finding the gifts that God gives us, you know, which are the fruits of the spirit, you know, and that happiness and that joy and forgiveness and, you know, it's, it's so worth it is, is what I want to say. And, and I believe we were put on this earth for a purpose, every single one of them, and they are different for every single one of us. And, um, but the way to find that, I think a lot of times is taking the time and doing the work, whether that be your family of origin or um, anything else you've experienced. Pain, neglect for your marriage stuff, like yes. fix it so that you can fix it so that you can clear up space for, for the giving. Mm-hmm. You will. Yeah. Because the, because the pain and the wounds are going to fill up the space that the yeah. opportunities will present to you and you're not, you may not recognize them. So yeah. that's why that meditation and, and those morning readings and taking the time to, to connect with that God place inside of us. Mm-hmm. It's there. So you'll find yeah. it. You'll see it. You will find oh, it. Oh, Melinda, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Melinda, thank we you. you. We do. Thank <laughs> you so I'm, much. It was I'm giving y'all big hugs. Be here. I'm giving you girls big hugs. And Kevin, you a hug. And Kevin, this is like the third week in a row you haven't said anything. I'm so confused. You probably couldn't get a word in. Uh, yeah. Me in here? Are you kidding? I, I always was quiet when there were guests on. Just for the, record. the three of us, Kevin trying to get a word in. Yeah, Kevin, I'm, Janice and I are going to come up with it, but next week is all about you. I don't know it what it is. All right, sure. It's all about you. Fine with me. Okay. <laughs> 
All right, listeners, thank you so much for another great week. And Melinda, thank you so much. We just love and adore you. And Kevin, thanks for the hard work. Janice, adore thank you. you. I Peace love out. you. Love Bye. you. Thank Amazing you. week. Thank you.